Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. Today, The Grill has the great pleasure of welcoming a bloke who has left a most substantial footprint on Australian agribusiness. Richard Raines, meat exporter extraordinaire. Welcome to The Grill, Richard. Oh, great honour to be here, Kerry. Thank you ever so much for having me and uh, it's an honour to join the alumni that uh, you've already had on this wonderful <laughs> podcast. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. A bush rooster from Dunny Do. How does that sit with you? Is that is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the town they left the R off, they used to say, Kerry. Uh, now Dunny Door, yes, that's right. I'm uh, I'm very proud of my country roots, even though they didn't last long. I'm uh, it's, it's an amazing thing now in my mid-60s and people ask me uh, uh, where I'm from. I always say the bush. It's funny how it stays with you. And, and you're from Dunny do I reckon that would have gone down pretty well in the countless boardrooms you've been in around the world? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Gary. For those who don't know, it's about an hour's drive north of Mudgee, about an hour's drive east of uh, east of Dubbo. So uh, it was a, a wonderful part of the world to grow up. Uh, as everybody that grows up in the bush says, uh, it's uh, even though I've ended up making a career in the city, I I cherish my bush roots, Kerry, every day. So do we all, Richard. So do we all. Now, mm, look, you went to school yeah. in Sydney at Barker. And, yes, went to boarding uh, school, a jail for six years. <laughs> That's an illustrious school. Talk about like that. Nice school. Nice kids went to Barker. Now, look, yeah. uh, earlier on in your career, your working career, you decided that you wanted to get involved in agribus, and I understand you opened the yellow pages of the phone book then, and you wrote to all the rural companies you could find, and you had a response from Dalgetty. Is that how it worked out? That, the old Dalgetty, that's exactly right, Kerry. Uh, I'd always uh, thought my uh, my life would be spent back on the farm, but the, when I left school uh, and rang home to say that I'd finished my last exam and I'm on my way, and... Uh, the old man said, not so fast, uh, economy's not much good and you've got the, uh, three others ahead of you who are here and if you come home, we'll just have to split the income another way and there's not much to go around. So uh, I was told to stay in the big smoke and uh, and give it a go and carry the most uh, important advice I think I ever got from my father was at that stage when he said, uh, stay in Sydney, give it a go. If it works, we're all better off. If it doesn't work, you've always got the safety net of coming back to the bush and uh, coming back to the farm. And that really stuck with me, Kerry. I've never forgotten those words of advice because it gave me gave me a bit more backbone, I suppose, to have a go and take that extra step because I knew if something failed, well, uh, there wasn't there was an exit plan. Wonderful. And you, Dalgetty, an iconic name in agribusiness in those days, you were there and you got a lot of hands-on experiences first up. I did, Kerry. They uh, had a, uh, a relatively young export division. They had one fellow exporting uh, skins and hides, one fellow exporting grain, and one fellow exporting uh, meat. Uh, but uh, And they had a, an overall export manager, but really nobody to uh, sit in if one of those fellows was on holidays or sick or travel or whatever the case might be. So they gave me a wonderful 18 months hands-on cadetship, Kerry. I was... Uh, grading sheepskins, 
uh, in sheds and, and bailing them and working in uh, in grain sheds uh, around the country and uh, then spent a bit of time in the casino abattoir and the homebush abattoir back in those days uh, getting my hands dirty so that I had a little bit of knowledge uh, of all three facets and uh, finally came back into the office and said into the Dalgetty head office in Sydney and said who wants a hand and uh, the bloke in the skins department said yes I need a hand so I spent a day with him and uh, he said good I'm up to date I said right who wants a hand now and the bloke in the meat division said yes I need a hand so I went to him Kerry I did not ever leave that meat desk I didn't ever spend a day on grain I didn't ever go back to skins and hides but uh, I don't regret a minute of it it was all wonderful experience and uh, and knowledge to have and uh, yes I, I stayed on the meat desk and made the most of it. And your travels began and the first big target you had a look at South Korea and thought, I guess, why aren't we selling meat to this country? And tell yeah. us about the South Korean experience. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was extraordinary, Kerry. That was uh, back in 1974. I uh, I made some connections in Korea and uh, managed to sell them the first uh, imported beef that uh, the country had ever imported. Uh, that was 500 ton of qu- frozen quarter beef that. Uh, uh, came out of the Newcastle abattoir, which uh, another one that's sadly no longer there anymore. Uh, so uh, uh, 500 tonne that year, and then uh, it grew pretty rapidly uh, from those years on, Kerry, to become Australia's third largest export market, and it's still a very significant market for Australia, of course, not uh, not government, uh, not Korean government controlled anymore, but. Um, uh, it's it's private treaty business now. All it was all tender business in those days, Kerry, uh, controlled by the uh, uh, by the trading houses in Korea. You had to sell via a trading house to uh, to get access to the market, and uh, it was uh, uh, in those days, Kerry. I think seventy uh, seventy seven. I went to Korea twelve times. I was up there once a month. Uh, you had to be present for the tender to. Uh, to get success in the tender, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience for a green young kid from the bush to be uh, uh, going up there. You had to o- overnight in uh, in Hong Kong each way. There were no direct flights in those days, and uh, it, Korea was a very different country then to what it is, of course, now. But um, just the most wonderful experience. So just a little anecdote I'd like to share there, Kerry. The Koreans would, uh, the Korean government would only pay, uh, it was always by letter of credit, uh, but they would only pay you 90% of the invoice value when you ship the goods. And uh, so most Australian exporters uh, were not prepared to accept that responsibility because it was uh, all a little bit of the unknown and whatever happens if you don't get paid that uh, that last 10%, which you were due to get paid after the goods had arrived and been inspected and they were happy that uh, they had received what they'd been invoiced for. So um, I've always been a great fan of trying to think outside the box, Kerry. So I took on that risk. But in doing so, I simply added 10% to my to my selling price, so that uh, <laughs> if I didn't get paid, I didn't get any I didn't get any margin. But uh, uh, not once did I ever not get paid, Kerry. And we did tens of thousands of tons, hundreds of thousands of tons into the market, and uh, it was uh, it was very substantial business, and uh, that was a great learning curve for me to go through to just to make sure you think outside the box. You must have impressed a lot of people because you were approached by a major international meat trading company that you were in fact poached 
from Dalgety to go and work with a company called Sanger International? That's right, Kerry. Dalgety was a wonderful company, but it was a, a very typical large British company where you bundied on and bundied off and uh, whether you did. I was the sort of kid, Kerry, I needed a kick on the backside if I did wrong. and I, I always enjoyed a pat on the back if I did good and that didn't ever come with uh, Dalgetty. You just, uh, as long as you did your hours, that was all. Nobody really cared what else you did. So... I joined this London-based public uh, trading company, Kerry, with 13 meat trading offices around the world, and it was absolutely dynamic. And uh, I joined their Sydney Sydney office and uh, uh, really got into stride from day one. It was just such a different different business to what the old monolith of uh, of Dalgetty had been. So I absolutely shone there, Kerry, loved it, and... uh, uh, a couple of years in the Sydney office, and that's when I did my travel up to Korea was, uh, 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 with the Sanger team. And then uh, got a transfer across to uh, head office uh, in those days was in London. So uh, I had 78, 79 in London, and the plan was to keep on going around the other offices. But uh, business started to look a bit shaky in 79, Kerry. So the chairman suggested I should come back home and keep out of the way of trouble. And uh, uh, as he forecast, the business did go into liquidation in 1980. And uh, all the other offices around the world, uh, except Paris and Sydney, were closed down by the liquidator. But uh, my very dear friend, John Cooper, who was managing the Australian operation at the time, bought uh, Paris and Sydney back from the liquidators. And uh, and the rest is history, really, Kerry. Um, uh, John very generously gave me the opportunity to, to acquire equity in the business um, uh, there and then in, in 1980, and I went on to uh, um, build that into a majority shareholding by, uh, by 2000, and then um, uh, sold out of that in 2013 to my management team, a management buyout, and uh, uh, happy days, Kerry. Yes, it, it became a, a fairly significant player in the in the meat export business. When you took over Sanger, when they they offered you equity, and you decided, yes, there is a future exporting out of Australia to the rest of the world and from other parts of the world to the other parts of the world, et cetera, which we'll come to. What was Sanger's turnover, Sanger Australia's turnover, when you decided, I'll take this on? Yeah, in those days, Kerry, we had a revenue of about $50 million, um, which I'll never forget. It was an interesting time because there was a government uh, incentive scheme. If you had a revenue of less than $50 million, the government would help you with any overseas uh, marketing opportunities that you might have, they would contribute. Uh, and I will never forget having the debate, do we, do we uh, keep on that, uh, on, on that drip feed, if you like, or do we uh, pin our ears back and go for more business? Well, uh, obviously, we, we took the latter decision, pinned our ears back and, uh, and, and drove the business pretty hard from there, Kerry. But it, it was, a, <laughs> I remember, it was a milestone as to whether we stay, stay at the 50 million or whether we put the pedal to the metal, as they say. Yeah, now, one of your biggest keys, of course, was getting McDonald's in America to take Australian grinding meat, and it was not just a coup for, for you, it was a coup for the instri- entire beef industry around Australia, wasn't it? Tell us that story. Well, it, uh, that was a path I set out on uh, Kerry in the in the mid-1980s, and it was a 10-year process for me to, uh, to win the business. I finally got them over the line in the late 1990s, but um, all my contemporaries told me I was a mug and I was wasting my time because uh, 
uh, McDonald's slogan in America at those days was the great America, the all-American burger. Um, but uh, all their competitors, Kerry, be they the Burger Kings, Jack in the Box, all the other uh, burger chains in the States were using imported meat and uh, uh, imported was cheaper than the domestic. So uh, McDonald's opponents had a uh, had a bit of a start on them there. The other thing, the domestic, US domestic meat, Kerry, uh, is principally all fresh meat as opposed to the imported grinding meat, which is frozen. So the American grinders, as we call them, those who make the hamburger patties for the chains, uh, they would um, buy their meat this week and it would be delivered next week in one-ton tubs and it would have to be used pretty much straight away. Whereas with the imported that they were getting, well, that's Kerry, um, what are we in now? We're in August. I'd be happy to sell the meat for September, maybe October shipment. It would arrive in the States for them to use in October, November. It was frozen. They could use it straight away if they wanted to or they could sit on it for a little while. So they had, they had plenty of time. So it was a wonderful hedge for them. Also, they got quite a saving from it being frozen. It, it added refrigerant to their to their product, so there were a lot of benefits out of uh, out of imported. And uh, it took a long time to convince McDonald's that there was uh, benefit in it. But uh, uh, Kerry, um, a, a big part of my career has been the relationships that I've created, and there was a. A, uh, one of the major grinders for McDonald's, a company by the name of Keystone Foods in Philadelphia, uh, they uh, they really went into bat for me. It's a long story. I can tell you another day. But they uh, they convinced McDonald's that uh, they should be uh, using imported meat, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll never forget the story. My friend uh, rang me after he'd had the the, the meeting in the head office, and he said uh, uh, things are looking okay, but uh, he said we're going to need a sample. And I said, a sample, typically carry a sample is one carton of meat that you send across. Australia was sending over 300,000 tonne of this product to America every year. I said, what do you want a carton for? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, I want 40 containers. And I said, my friend, samples are normally free. I'd love to, but I can't afford to give you 40 containers. No, 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 I'll pay for it. Just send them over. So (laughs) I did send them and, uh, uh, you know, waited with everything crossed, carry for the oh, you know the couple of months by the time it was shipped and got there and went through his facility and he rang me and he said a bit of a problem I said don't tell me and he said yeah he said the 40 containers weren't enough to really be able to get a run through our factory could you send me a hundred <laughs> containers so I sent him the hundred he gave me the thumbs up all was good and uh uh, the business turned into be quite extraordinary business, Kerry. I've got to tell you from there. McDonald's are the biggest users of protein in the world. They feed about 66 million people around the world every day. And of course, to have access to them in North America, Kerry, was uh, wonderful for my business and wonderful for the Australian industry that McDonald's have gone on to be an incredibly important customer. Absolutely. What a great story. You're running a massive international business at this stage with deals being done everywhere. And I'm yeah. told that a lot of your deals were actually sealed with a simple handshake. Is that right? Well, absolutely, Kerry. That was uh, that was my mantra. Of course, uh, you know, with our bankers and our insurance companies, shipping companies, we had to have written contracts with them. But um, yes, with our with the with the business with buying and selling meat, it was a handshake, Kerry, and. Uh, uh, that taught me a couple of things. Firstly, if somebody wasn't uh, good to their word and the handshake didn't matter, well, 
I'd prefer not do business with them anyway. And um, uh, I was always pretty hard on getting paid. So, I, you know, <laughs> we, we, we had a bit of a reputation in the marketplace, Kerry, that um, uh, you, either, you either played by the rules or you didn't get a second bite at the cherry. And uh, we, did, we, we were a reasonably sized player in the market. And uh, I'd like to think that hopefully we got paid before anybody else did, Kerry. But it always stood us in good stead. You built a reputation, certainly, for fostering relationships uh, right across the entire meat industry. I'm talking right from these customers to the banks, and I've heard you say many, many times how important those relationships have been in your success. Yeah, well, I was taught at a young age that uh, uh, the importance of relationships and friendships, uh, Kerry, and uh, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, travelling both this country and uh, around the world to see our customers. Uh, on a, you know, I would never meet a customer in the in the hotel or in a restaurant. I'd always make sure I went to his facility so you could see the standard of the facility and the size of the facility and uh, you know how that uh, person uh, stood in in uh, in the business. All those things. You, uh, it's amazing what you learn when you're on the ground that you never learn over a, a telephone call or a a telex or a fax or now an email, Kerry. So uh, I thought that um, that personal contact, those relationships that you can develop. Kerry, um, I, I didn't ever get uh, all the business with the customers that I had, but I would like to think that I got uh, at least an opportunity of the business that I got, and that was most important to me. Richard, we'll take a short break. We'll be back shortly with a chat about your retirement and your busy, busy world in your so-called retirement. <laughs> Thanks, Kerry. Akatak Duo Star from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. Many thanks to our sponsors, Alenko Animal Health. We're on the grill with Richard Rains, among other things. He's from Dunny-Doo, and he sold beef to Brazil. That was one really weird episode. You, an Australian, <laughs> selling beef to Brazil. Well, as I say, Kerry, ice to the Eskimos. But, uh, yes, we sold uh, quite a bit of Wagyu beef into Brazil. It was something that they weren't producing themselves, and uh, there was a certain demand in Brazil, so... Uh, uh, yes, we uh, we enjoyed a good trade at that for a time, but um, uh, I was up for any trade anywhere, <laughs> anything anything that I thought might have had a dollar in it. I was uh, I was involved in it, so why not? And uh, uh, yeah, that led to some wonderful other opportunities in Brazil as well. Richard, a few years back, your business Sanger, which I'm told was selling 10% or more of Australia's beef exports, it was going very very well. Then an offer yeah. you couldn't refuse, almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, you know, I prided myself with my team. Uh, it was something uh, I, d I developed an extraordinary team, Kerry, and I think that's what it was all about. Uh, they did all the heavy lifting. I just had my hand on the tiller looking after those relationships and making sure the ship was sailing in the right direction. But um, 
um, we we really developed a wonderful camaraderie. And uh, at the end of the day, Kerry, 2013, uh, some of my key team uh, put up their hand and said that uh, they would like to acquire my equity in the business and uh, and have a go for themselves. And that was uh, music to my ears, Kerry. That was uh, uh, I, I'd seen a lot of a lot of other people in my situation who'd stayed on their business and uh, died in their business. And that certainly wasn't for me. I had a lot of other things that I wanted to do outside of the business. The business had been very, very generous to me. And uh, if it could be as generous to those uh, following behind me, Kerry, that was my great desire. And uh, so, yes, I accepted a, a deal to um, uh, to move on. And uh, that's what happened back in, 19, in 2013. I'm heading to the Xander McDonald Awards, which I know are very important to you, but let's talk first about a couple of topics, a reflection on a few of them. The model of the beef industry at the moment. Producers, one day doing it tough while the other side bleeds, and the next day the processes are doing it tough while the producers are struggling. The cycle, is it broken or is it inevitable or can it be fixed? Uh, probably all the above, if I may, Kerry, as my great mate Ed Trosby who has abattoirs at Singleton and uh, and Young in New South Wales says it's absolutely a broken business model because for uh, the producer, uh, when the producer is making money, typically the processor is losing money and vice versa. When the processor is making a quid, uh, oftentimes the, uh, the producer is on his knees because of seasonal conditions or whatever the case might be. So there are not many other industries that I can think of, Kerry, where that is the situation, but I really don't know I don't have the answer as to what's going to change that uh, that model. Uh, it's been that way forever. The only thing I can think, Kerry, that might help it somewhat is if we can get some sort of a forward pricing model. Um, and just let me go back to my time with McDonald's. They would have given anything to be able to buy uh, their grinding meat, their, their beef trimmings from me for 12 months forward. Uh, but uh, three months was about the best that I ever got to, Kerry, because, you know, the processors don't want to sell too far forward because they can't buy cattle too far forward. So uh, and that's probably the situation in a case where we're, where we're a, um, uh, a seasonal-based industry where so much depends on whether it's uh, we've had rain or no rain and whether there's a flush of cattle or or whether the the restockers are buying the cattle. So it's a, it's a really complicated business, Gary. I know we've had a go at futures a couple of times in the past, which uh, uh, sadly didn't work. Um, uh, and, and I think that uh, period is probably behind us now. But I, I, it, it's going to take something extraordinary to change this model, I think, Gary. It's not right, but it's uh, it's worked reasonably well uh, for a long time. And you're not Pat Malone when you say you don't know how to fix it really because I think it's the most discussed topic and I don't think anybody no. has the answer. No, that's exactly right. Uh, but... Um, uh, who knows what might happen around the corner, Kerry? Lots of things change, and uh, somebody might come up with a uh, with a bright spark, and let's hope they do. But it's uh, possible. Um, it's possible. You know, both 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 sides have seemed to be able to ride the waves, and uh, uh, I think um, I think the the industry is very good, Kerry. You know, thirty years ago, processors used to go broke fairly frequently and leave a big trail of destruction behind them of producers that weren't paid. But I think we've got to remember that uh, that sort of doesn't happen anymore, thankfully, Jerry. And uh, uh, I think there's much more confidence out there that the uh, processes are 
stronger and healthier and uh, able to pay their bills. And uh, uh, not saying that it can't happen and won't, it won't happen, Kerry, but uh, we've certainly got a lot more uh, health in the processing sector in Australia. And uh, I think there's a lot more confidence that the, that the bills are being paid than what we might have had a number of years ago. Now, uh, fake meat. Should the industry uh, fight for the use of the terms meat, steak, sausage, mince, etc.? Of course, we should. We sh- we should fight teeth and nail, Kerry. This is, uh, you know, uh, w- w- Susan McDonald, who is actually Xander McDonald's sister, Senator Susan McDonald. I really dip my lid to her for initiating this Senate inquiry. Uh, uh, she went out on a little bit of a limb to do it, and uh, uh, great credit to her for doing it. Uh, but um, we've only got a handful of submissions. The uh, the, the, the submission uh, entry process only closed uh, last Friday, Kerry, and I think it's very disappointing the number of submissions. When you think of the number of businesses that are involved in the supply chain all the way through, you know, producers and transporters and processors and uh, retailers, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, and the measurable number of submissions that have been submitted. Uh, we all know that the, that the ag sector can be, uh, you know, a little bit complacent from time to time, but I'm really disappointed at the, at the response that we've got. Kerry, uh, if, if I learnt one thing in my time of uh, marketing meat around the world, it is that the slightest change in either supply or demand can have a very significant impact on the price of the product. Now, this product mightn't have a big uh, piece of the pie today, but uh, uh, they're, they're a pretty stiff component and they tell porky pies and I don't like that. And I think this is our opportunity to try and put the record straight and, uh, and so it should be because... You know, this stuff that's made out of grain, I don't have a problem with them making the stuff, Kerry, but they just can't piggyback on the back of the meat industry and uh, and use our images and our names. It's just plain and simple, I think. Time will tell if there will be any change. I'm hopeful but not confident, but uh, we can wait and see, I guess. Now, well, one, a subject we, that's... We will, we, sorry, Kerry, we will be waiting and seeing for a long time because I don't believe that we will get anything, any outcome from this Senate inquiry until at least 2023. So oh, the wheel turns very slowly. It is terrible, Kerry, but that, that's just the way it is. We're, you know, we're in a, in, live in a democracy and these things take time. Now, a subject very dear to your heart, Xander McDonald is so tragic he left us... Far, far too early. You were very close. What did you see in Xander, which I know you admired so much? Uh, I did, Kerry, uh, and um, he was not only one of the largest uh, uh, private family uh, livestock or cattle producers in this country, but uh, uh, he also uh, became a processor in his own right and uh, had retail shops in his own right, etc., etc. He and I didn't ever do much business together. Friendships were more important to me than doing business, so I didn't want to run the risk of ruining a friendship. But um, uh, we spoke very frequently. He was uh, a lot younger than me, Kerry. He died in 2013 at the age of only 42, and he had left a, a really substantial mark on the industry by that age. Uh, he was a, he was an innovator. Uh, he was a doer, and the interesting thing about the cattle into or agriculture in general, I guess, Kerry, but the, whatever discoveries he made, he was happy to share with the industry. 
uh, it wasn't just for the benefit of his own business, but uh, be it pain relief, Kerry, he was one of the very early drivers of the introduction of pain relief because he believed that not only was it the right thing to do by the animal, but he believed that his, uh, that was what his customers uh, desired. So he drove down that path. And yes. uh, no, he was, he was a wonderful human being who was absolutely having a crack. And uh, you're quite correct. He was taken way, way, way too early. But we now have this award in his honour, uh, which I'm involved in, Kerry, and very proudly involved in. And uh, uh, like he changed lives, this award in his honour is changing lives. It's about, it's about young people, and he was encouraging young people as much as you were through your career. And, and Xander being such a genuine forward thinker, I think he'd be pretty proud of this award and what you're doing. I think he would be. I know his family are very grateful, uh, and they're they're all still very heavily involved in what we're doing, Kerry. It is for 23 to 35-year-olds uh, living and working in agriculture in Australia and New Zealand, um, and displaying some uh, uh, some leadership qualities, as we like to say, uh, Xander-like qualities, which I guess is drive and passion and people who are wanting to make a difference in the, in the agricultural sector, Kerry. They're the, they're the people that we're looking for. Anybody, uh, any young people who would like to be involved, please have a look at the website of the Xander McDonald Award. Easy to Google it. And um, if you don't get an application in this year, uh, uh, please put one, you know, register your interest in the award and we'll keep you up to date with uh, all the goings on. The the um, uh, the recipient or the recipients, uh, Kerry, get uh, some pretty extraordinary uh, outcomes from this award. We've had nine winners over the last seven years. Sometimes we can't split the, uh, the, the, the couple, so sometimes we have two, but in the main we have a, a single recipient each year, uh, sometimes in Australia, sometimes in New Zealand. But uh, the prize is a tailored mentoring uh, package carry where we take uh, the recipient uh, normally put them on a on a Pilatus uh, PC12 who were wonderful sponsors of ours and uh, take them around to uh, the farms and businesses that they probably wouldn't be able to get to otherwise carry and give them uh, mentoring access to a great array of, uh, of people. Uh, we have changed a considerable number of young lives, uh, make, makes, make, make a huge difference to them. So can I encourage any young people who are really wanting to step up and, uh, and, uh, and improve their lives and their position in agriculture to please throw your hat in the ring and have a go? You've got absolutely nothing to lose, Gary. And, and so, entries, uh, entries for this, uh, the latest award, they close very soon? Uh, yeah, it closed at the end of August, Kerry, but uh, that's okay. If you don't get your application in by then, we'll uh, uh, pop it in for next year. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a very strongly contested um, uh, situation, Kerry, people wanting to uh, to win this award. It's a very prestigious award, so, um, and it's always pretty obvious those who have just uh, rattled something together in the last couple of hours. Kerry, I, uh, I encourage everybody to give it plenty of thought. Speak to other people who have been finalists or winners in the award, or me, uh, anybody. Uh, we're all only too happy to assist wherever we can to uh, make sure that we find the quality of people out there who are going to uh, make a difference to agriculture, Kerry. I think it's, uh, you know, look at what agriculture is doing during this pandemic, Kerry. It's just uh, carrying on uh, unimpeded, really, same as what I lived through in the global financial crisis of 2008. The important thing about agriculture, Kerry, is that regardless of what people have got in their pocket and whether they're employed or locked in at home, they've still got to eat. 
and um, uh, you know the beef the, the beef production really doesn't change too much. So the future the future is enormous, and I encourage anybody to uh, have a go at this award. It changes lives. Richard Range, you continue a wonderful, wonderful career and a contribution to the Australian agriculture, to Australian agriculture, and in particular to the Australian beef industry. Thanks for being on The Grill. Great pleasure, Kerry. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health. (laughs) 